You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Voice Junkie. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Voice Junkie Podcast. I'm your host, Charles West. Two subject matters I want to cover today on this uh, episode. One being the President Obama's farewell tour. Basically, you know, every president pretty much does this. They do their final rounds before the new president is sworn in. Barack Obama's no different than every other president before him. So I wanted to talk a little bit about his legacy. And, uh, Second subject matter is obviously, you know, the divisional playoffs for the NFL. I'm going to do my pickums and jump right into that. So get ready for my pickums. So without further ado, let's jump into, you know, President Obama's farewell tour. So President Obama had his last address really to the American people uh, a few days ago. I believe it was Tuesday. I could be wrong. Correct me in the threads if you want to. I don't care, but whatever so yeah it was this week and you know a lot of people was emotional about it teary-eyed about it because you know this is a guy that everybody has uh grown to to like you know he's leaving office uh very popular still um i don't really i can't say exactly where his uh numbers are as far as approval rating but they're pretty good i'm, I'm pretty sure they're way you know well above 40 percent which is pretty good for an outgoing president actually it might be even higher than that might be up to about you know 50 percent or, or better but um that's one thing that barack obama is very great at he's very great at being presidential and he's very great at being likable that will be one of the things that people will remember the most about him. However, there is the other side of things. There's the ugly layer beneath that shiny veneer. And that is his record as far as what he's done policy-wise um, while he was in office for these two terms. Um, the problem that we have, the problem that I have um, with fellow uh, liberals is that they, I, first of all, I don't really like to paint myself a liberal. I like to just paint myself as a straight up true progressive who believe in, tr you know, true progressive values. Um, the problem is, you know, a good portion of liberals live in fandom of Barack Obama. They almost place this guy as a deity in their eyes where the, the, he's so likable that they can't peel past their feelings of how they like this man and, and to to get to the point of what he's done policy-wise. I have a number one rule when it comes to politicians, especially politicians or anybody that's, you know, got, you know, recognition and name right uh and name recognition or, or, or so forth. That number one policy is for me or rule for me is I try not to uh, get caught up in people. I rather like to get caught up in policy. What does your policy say? I'm not really trying to like you as a person. I'm trying to like your policies. Your policies is a reflection of you. That's the the, the reality of this. You know, I, I I'm a realist, so I don't I don't get caught up in all that stuff. 
yeah, he's a cool guy. He's smooth operator. He's probably one of the coolest presidents we've ever had. You know? But the guy did some pretty treacherous stuff. That he needs to be called out for it like any other person. I don't care if he's black, orange, green, or, or whatever, or white. All I care about is policy. That's the difference between me as a progressive slash liberal and versus other liberals. See, if it's their guy, they ignore everything else behind it. They ignore the, the things that's being done. They turn a blind eye or they're just too freaking ignorant to see it. Or see past their fandom. Perfect example of Barack Obama. He's the ultimate example, to be honest. Let's get into his record real quick. You know what? I'm going to start with the good things. You know, I'm not going to list out a whole shitload of things because this would be like a two, three-hour podcast. I'm not trying to do that to y'all because I don't even want to listen to all of that. But I'm going to I you know, I wrote out a bulletin list of points that, you know, that I wanted to go over with his record, the good and the bad. I'm going to start with the good. First of all, he passed the Lilly Ledbetter Act, which is equal pay, equal work for equal pay when it, in regards to women. Great bill. You know, I mean, who, who, who can really disagree with that unless you're some male pig chauvinist? You know, you know anyone with a sane mind wouldn't agree with that. Hey, I don't, it doesn't matter what your gender is. If you do equal work, you should get paid equally the same. I agree with that. Great thing for Barack Obama. Kudos. Next thing, the guy hunted and tracked down bin Laden. Hey, George Bush couldn't do it. George Bush, you know, 9-11 happened in 2001, I believe. And the guy had six, seven years that he did, you know, to his term, got reelected and everything. And still couldn't track down and hunt and kill Bin Laden or capture him. Barack Obama comes in, first term, gets it done. You can't complain. I mean, that's 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 freaking great. So we, we give him points for that. Good, good, good points for that. Um, number two, just to kind of hint towards his mindset as far as equal work, equal pay with the Lilly Ledbetter Act, he also appointed, you know, the most minorities and women to high-profile cabinet positions. You got to give him credit for that. That's pretty good. I mean, all his Supreme Court uh, Justice uh, appointees were women, just about. You know, he appointed uh, Justice Sotomayor. He appointed uh, uh, Kagan. Um, yeah, those two. So those are two women that he appointed to the Supreme Justice uh, um, seats. Um so you got to give him credit for that. And Sotomayor is uh, is Spanish descent. So she's the first Spanish um, Supreme Justice um, that we've ever had in, in the history of the country, I believe. So give him credit for that. Um, also, he's also um, looking at the list here. He also did very well when it came to carbon emissions. So he protected the environment um, more than any other president that we had before. Uh, by making in small incremental change, you know it was small incremental change, but it was it was small and ineffective. So I'll say that I'll give him credit for that. Those points for that. Also, he appointed. Um, well, I'll get to that one later. I'm, I, I, let's jump into uh, the Iran deal, the deal that he cut with Iran. Now, we've been 
you know, in a pissing match with Iran for, you know, well over a decade, especially because of the Iraq evasion. So, you know, there was, you know, there's been widely, it's been widely speculated that the Americans, uh, the United States would get into a war with Iran somewhere down the road because of uh, the fear of um, Iran developing nuclear weapons. However, Obama was able to cut a deal with Iran where he got unilateral uh, agreement with the country that you they get, you know, an independent investigator can come in at random at any time to check out their nuclear facilities. They're not even developing nuclear uh, or trying to develop a nuclear weapon as they were before because uh, Obama did some very good diplomatic work where he said, hey, if you want us to take away all the sanctions, you want to come back to the table as far as the United Nations is concerned and be a reputable uh, be reputable for for your country in regards to the whole na- uh, to the whole world, you know, you have to agree to some of these stipulations. And one of those stipulations were uh, were um, allowing an investigator to come in through your plants and, and check things out to make sure you are agreeing to accordance to what we, you know, what the deal is. So he did very good with that. And he got hammered for it by the Republicans because he they tried to insinuate that he gave them money, billions of dollars, to cut this deal. But in reality, he gave them billions of dollars of their own money that we held, that we froze. So... We were holding billions of dollars for, of, of Iran, you know, through trade deals and things like that um, because of the sanctions. So all he did was just lift that and give them their money that we held for, you know, X, Y, Z amount of time. So he got hammered for that. But the Iran deal was great because it took us out of a, a potential war with a, a, another country in the Middle East. So he gets he should get tremendous credit for that. Now, we stay on the uh, international wave with Cuba. Now, he did very good work with Cuba. Now, we're, we've had the, we've, right now, we have the best relations that we've ever had with Cuba since the embargo was put in place. And that's because of Barack Obama. Right now, you can buy Cuban cigars. So, you know, the trade deals is starting to open up. And, um, Hopefully, if Trump doesn't screw it up, we can get to an even more better place with Cuba where the embargo is completely lifted. But I don't don't count on that happening in these four years. But however, Obama did a very good job with that. So relations with Cuba is being restored. Also, his handling of the BP oil spill. I got to give him credit for that. Remember when the BP oil spill happened in the Gulf? Uh... I mean, they, you know, now I will say this, it, it, it wouldn't have happened if he didn't loosen up uh, patents and where, you know, companies like BP can do offshore drilling. He did that. He started to uh, allow companies to do more offshore drilling, which a lot of progressives, true progressives didn't like. Uh, environmentalists didn't like it, but he did that. That's a known. That's a bad part of it. But however, once it happened, once the oil spill happened, he he he, you know, he got on his gangster, and he, he brought him behind closed doors and said, "This look, plug the damn hole. If you don't plug it, we gonna come after your ass with straight litigation." He basically strong armed him 
into making a fund, a billion dollars, billions of a fund that was uh, like twenty billion dollars or so for a lot of those fishermen down there in the Gulf who lost a lot of business because of their stupid ass oil that they that they uh, polluted the water with. So Obama gangstered them into uh, a safety fund for all of those people that those businesses and people that were affected. So huge credit for that. It's almost been forgotten, but huge credit for that. And um, Obamacare. Now, it's a mixed bag. However, it's something. And as the old saying goes, something is better than nothing. And, you know, before Obamacare, we didn't really have dick when it came to um, a competent health care system. But Obamacare allowed people to get uh, health insurance uh, without their employer. So, you know, it allowed you to buy directly through the employer through a, an exchange system. That's something that we never had before. Also, it covered people with pre-existing conditions, which is probably the most important part of it. Before Obamacare, people with pre-existing conditions couldn't get health care. Now Obamacare came in and changed that and made it and mandated companies to offer people that uh, same privilege as others. So good and bad, like I said, but for this particular situation, good. And lastly, uh, I, I thought I had to put down his appoint his his last appointment of uh, uh, the FCC chairman Tom Wheeler. Now, I'm a big proponent of of net neutrality. I mean, I do a lot of my work over the internet. I've have done a lot of my work over the internet for several years. Hell, this podcast is uh, a, a direct correlation of an open internet. If we without an open internet. Podcasts like this and others or websites or whatever the case may be wouldn't be able to function without some type of restrictions. So his appointment of Tom Wheeler did rub a lot of people the wrong way in the beginning because they're saying, hey, you're hiring a guy who was a top lobbyist for the cable companies. What what are you doing? Obviously, he's going to be biased, but lucky for us. And lucky for him, it turned out that Tom Wheeler was to- totally different than what we all expected. The guy came in and he handled his business. You know, he 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 passed. Uh, he voted in a lot of what we advocates wanted through net neutrality. He got a lot of that through, and you know, he forced these uh, cable companies and these telecom companies to um, to to really tote the line and not give favoritism toward other companies and, and try to squeeze money and do all these other thif- different things. I don't want to get too specific with it, but Tom Wheeler, you know, when it goes down, is going to be a pretty good FCC chairman, probably one of the best we've had in a long time. So credit to Obama for that. Although, you know, and, and, and he was pushed to support a lot of what we advocates wanted through net neutrality. So, you know, he kind of, Stumbled into that one, but nevertheless, good job on his part. Now, let's get to the bad stuff. The bad stuff that a lot of uh, liberals and a lot of black people. Let's keep it real. I'm speaking as a black person. I'm gonna call it for what it is. A lot of liberals and a lot of black people love Obama, but they ignore half of the shit he does when it comes to policy. 
So this is why I had to say this. I have to disseminate this to those people. I'm speaking to you. If you're one of those people listening, I'm speaking to you when it comes to this bad section. So let's get into the bad section of Obama. Barack Obama extended 90 plus percent of the Bush tax cut. He made them permanent. So you know the tax cuts that we complained about when George Bush was in office? Your boy, Barack Obama, made them permanent. Majority of them made permanent. Majority of those tax cuts help the upper 1%, the upper 10% of the country. So when you rah-rah got the pom-poms out where he does his next rhetorical speech or his, you know, he, he does these flourishes and he, he speaks great. He speaks great, man. But he does stuff like this behind closed doors and you guys ignore it. Made 90 plus 90% of Bush tax cuts permanent. Uh, uh, and and Glo- uh, Clover, uh, Glover Northquist, uh, staunch conservative, um, you know, economic type person who's, you know, worked with the Republican leadership, like the Heritage Fund and all this other stuff when it comes to tax cuts. Even he said, oh, this is a fantastic deal. He even said that, it, hey, we... We couldn't be even happier because he made majority of the tax cuts permanent. So you don't believe me? Search it on your own and do the research. That's the problem. A lot of us don't do research. So that's bad, bad, bad Obama. Number two, Obamacare was originally a Republican idea developed by the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank. Passed by Mitt Romney, and pioneered by Mitt Romney when he was governor of Massachusetts uh, like a decade ago. Let's start there. It's a Republican idea that he passed. It's not a progressive idea. It's a Republican idea. Now, why would you pass a Republican idea? Let me, let me get this straight. Why would you pass a Republican idea if you're supposed to be this so-called progressive lion, this leader for the liberal party, uh, then Democratic Party, huh? That that just that boggles my mind. That's who Barack Obama is. He never was a progressive. He he campaigned as a progressive. When it was time to win an election, he ran as a progressive, a strong progressive. But when he got his ass in office, he governed like a conservative. So you know, Obamacare, Republican idea. Lots and lots of. Uh, you know, progressives like Bernie Sanders, before you knew who he was, he was fighting in there. He was fighting in the Senate to try to get you and me a public option to protect you and me from the inevitable price hikes that would happen with such a plan like Obamacare. But guess what? Did he listen? No, he didn't listen because he listened to his donors instead of listening to you and me when we cried to the top of our lungs for a public option. Or some type of price restriction to to protect us from the insurers just hiking the price whenever they want. Guess what? They're hiking the prices now, as expected. When you put when you don't put a cap or you don't put some sort of restriction on a bunch of greedy multi-billion-dollar uh, conglomerates like the health insurance uh, industry. Guess what? They start to 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 to. Uh, run the, it's like the inmates start running the asylum. 
That's what happened. That's what's happening with Obamacare now. The prices are going up. Duh. That's of course that's going to happen if you don't have any type of price control. The public option was going to be that price control. What is the public option, you ask? Public option is where you have a government option. So say, for example, we had a, uh, an option where you could buy into Medicare. We already pay Medicare out of our paychecks. But a public option would have said, hey, if you don't want private insurance, you can buy into the, uh, to your state uh, medical insurance, which is Medicare. That's, it would have gave that option to you. And that option would have kept these assholes um, in check. It would have kept them honest with their pricing. But since we don't have that, and it's just the private uh, uh, industry of Medicare running, I mean, of, of um, excuse me, of, uh, of healthcare and, and insurance and medical insurance, the private industry is running Obamacare. You are mandated to get their coverage so they can do whatever they want they can hike the prices up down do whatever they want there's no restriction or no protection for them hiking the prices to wherever they want them to be that's the problem and he ignored it because he intentionally ignored it because being mandated to give you know humana or or Whatever company, large company, Humana, Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, whatever, being mandated to pay them money does a great job for their industry and a great job to his donors because those are one of the highest donors to him as well. Now, another thing that came with Obamacare that was was kind of behind the scenes and was ignored by a lot of people, including his blind supporters, is... He cut a deal with the drug companies to where it's illegal to buy prescription drugs outside the country, even if it's cheaper. He cut a deal, side deal, with the drug companies, the pharmaceutical companies, in order to get Obamacare passed through where you couldn't buy cheaper drugs. So now we're seeing drug prices skyrocket, and you can't do shit about it. Because he cut a deal with the pharmaceutical companies that makes you be forced to buy the drug drugs from those companies. So they can hike it as much as they want. That's Obamacare in a nutshell. Without being too specific and breaking down every layer of it. That's Obamacare in a nutshell. Do you think that was a good bill? No. It was some good. Yes, some good. But a lot bad. So that, that's uh, number two for the bad list. And uh, number three, the weak financial reform bill that he passed. Dodd-Frank bill. Let's get into the financial reform bill. It was a fucking joke. This notion that it did something, it, it didn't do anything. The only great thing that came out of the Dodd-Frank bill was the fact that it um, instituted a... Uh, a, 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 a bureau of the Credit Protection Bureau, which, they, which they, they don't fund very well for a reason. It's not even well-funded right now. They're trying to actually kill it because it's actually something that's good for the, for the consumers. You know who helped institute that part of it? Elizabeth Warren, a true progressive, the senator of Massachusetts, 
the the, the lady that actually Hillary should have picked as her vice president, uh, VP pick, but she's too fucking corporate to do it, and she wasn't going to do it because she's a cor- she's a corporatist. So that's as I digress from that. But Elizabeth Warren was the one that that fought and got the uh, credit protection uh, agency in place through the Dodd Frank bill. That was the only thing positive, really, that came out of that bill, because it didn't stop them from gambling with your money, depositor money. The banks, part of the reason why the economy went down is because the banks gambled with your money. They made all these false bets with mortgages and subprime mortgages and all these other things, derivative swaps behind closed doors. They got books and movies of this shit, people. Just do the research. And the problem is they did all these, you know, these, these basically dark room gambling, and then it created this massive bubble because... A lot of these, you know, a lot of these, uh, the worth of a lot of these mortgages or whatnot weren't really what they were worth. So this bubble kept blowing up, blowing up, blowing up until it just popped. And then we were all in for it. Once that happened, you know, we, we, we had the biggest, you know, collapse since the Great Depression. And we were forced or quote unquote forced to help support these guys and bail them out. No, it wasn't billions of dollars. I, I forgot what the original number was to bail out. It was, I think it was $700 billion. That's what they keep telling you it was. That was upfront money. That was the money that they put up front. The TARP, that's what it was, the TARP uh, bill. That was $700 up front, $700 billion, excuse me, up front. But the real money is in the trillions. That they did behind closed doors, like uh, like lowering uh, the uh, like the Fed, like the, you know the chairman of the Fed, you know the guy who um, the person that's responsible for uh, raising and hiring loans and things of that nature. He lowered the loans to the point where they were getting money for free. They call that quantitative easing. Do the research, people. Quantitative easing. They did that through the Fed. So they funneled them hundreds and hundreds, trillions of dollars underneath the Fed. While you were not paying attention, that's what they were doing. So the total money really for the uh, financial reform bill and the bailout is in the trillions. Now, why is that a problem? Let's break down the layers of that. The problem with that is that... We, as American people, we bail them out. Who do you think the money comes from? It comes from the taxpayer. Did you get anything? Did you get any kind of uh, stocks, any kind of shares in Citigroup or Bank of America or Chase Bank? Did you get any shares in those companies? You're the taxpayer. You helped bail them out. Did you get anything from those companies? No. That's the problem. And you know what? The other problem is a lot of those guys that did all that illegal shit, did they go to jail? Did those CEOs, those executives go to jail committing all those gambling crimes and all these little fraud things that they were doing? No, not one CEO or executive went to jail. Not one. Don't sound like the type of change that we voted for, did it? No, it didn't. Hope and change was a fucking slogan. Guy never was about hope and change. He was about the status quo. 
He sold that to you like a used car salesman, and you bought it. You bought it, and you ate it up. The reality is, those guys on Wall Street, those executives, are Barack Obama's buddies, just like Hillary Clinton. Those are their buddies. Those are the top donors to those people. Go search it up. Don't listen to me. Go search it. Do the research. Those are their top donors. Wall Street is the top donor of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. So, of course, nobody went to jail. Wake up. Wakey, wakey. Stop falling in love with the person. Start falling in love with the policy. That's the problem. But they're still doing the same things they were doing when the economy crashed in 07. They're doing the same thing. They didn't stop the derivatives, uh, the gambling of derivatives and those types of things and, 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 and making these little casino-type bets when it comes to how they play with money. They didn't stop any of that. They're still doing it. They didn't put any, any safeguards in it. Glass-Steagall was repealed in 1999 by your boy, Bill Clinton. That's another one you guys love to worship. He repealed Glass-Steagall, a, a, a law, a bill that was put in place in the 30s when we had the Great Depression, when the banks went crazy, and then we had to put a stop to it and say, hey, you know what? You can't gamble with depositors' money. You want to go gamble? Gamble your money. And if you fail, you fail. Bill Clinton... He repealed that before he left office. No wonder seven years later, the economy went down in a shithole because you repealed Glass-Steagall. You, the, the inmates started running the asylum. Everybody got drunk. And that's what happened. That's what happened with the whole financial reform or, or, or quote-unquote reform because it wasn't reform. It was, it was, it was, it was like you know, it's like a dirty wall and people, you just paint it over it. Instead of cleaning the wall down, you just paint over the dirt. That's basically what happened. And, you know, again, lots of loyalists, lots of followers, they ignore this shit. Or they just refuse to do the research because they like him so much. He's so likable. We love him so much. Open your eyes. Take the fucking shades off. Wipe the crust out your eyes and see exactly what is being done behind the smile, behind the sharp suit. Pay attention. Cornell West once got a lot of heat for calling him and and calling Barack Obama Ronald Reagan in blackface. And he got a lot of heat for that, but you have to really peel the layers back of what that analogy means. He's saying he's not a progressive. He's, he's pretty much Ronald Reagan, but the black version. He's right. The only difference is, you know, one is pro-choice and one is, uh, you know, one is not. I mean, really? I mean, when you put, peel the layers of what a corporatist Democrat is, what a neoliberal is. And look, I got other episodes that you can look at. The one, you trust me, I, I break that shit down. I call the neoliberals today, or today's neoliberals, I call them the Clinton Democrats. We need to get rid of them. I said that in the last, and well, I think that was episode 10. You can look at the thread. Go to the, go to the page on SoundCloud or whatever, whatever your RSS feed is for how you get your um, podcast. 
Go search it. I said it then. Clinton Democrats, neoliberals, there's really no difference between them and Republicans. The, one, the only difference is one is pro-choice and one isn't. They both believe in the same thing when it comes to how uh, the elite should get money. And they both take money from the same sources. One is a little more extreme and one isn't. But they're about the same. That's what the fucking that's where we are today in the economy, in our government. You know, Republicans aren't too much different from the, today's Democrats. I say I stress today's Democrats because they're they're basically moderate uh, moderate Republicans. That's a corporatist Democrat. That's a neoliberal. So that that's what you know the fundamentals of um, this um, um, weak. Uh, Dodd-Frank bill. So don't give him credit for that because the, that whole bill was a joke. Um, I, I will even quote, I, I wrote down a quote that he had once said in regards to um, when he was talking to those CEOs of those companies when shit was really hitting the fan. We was losing millions of jobs. Um, he told them, he said, look, I stand between you and the pitchforks. I am on your side. I will protect you. He promised then. And not one Wall Street criminal executive went to jail after he said that. He didn't lie. He kept that promise. You know? So, you know, be woke. But um, also, I say lastly, you know, um, those so so just to just to be clear, those were the most important things that he did bad that were still really going through right now as a country. That's why the you know everything's so stagnant. But um, also, he allowed the Republicans to run wild and frame the narrative of everything he did. He let these guys do whatever they want. He didn't man up. He didn't. He didn't tell them. Put these people in their place. That's a part of government. It's like a sport. Yeah, there's some compromise, but at some point you got to put your foot down and you got to. You got to. To put your foot down. You got to build up your coalition. You got to have one side who carrying the lead pipes and the other side carrying the blow torches. Sometimes you got to do that. Barack Obama didn't like that. He liked to sit back and let things play out. And while he sat back and let things play out, he didn't get half of the shit he wanted to get done. You know why? Because he allowed these clowns on the other side to be obstructionists. They were obstructing record numbers of uh, of being a, a, of just of of just not allowing him to do anything. Record numbers. He never really hammered that down, and, and the and the, the the weak Democrats, the corporatist Democrats, the neoliberals on the other side didn't do a great job of hammering that fact down either. That's why since he's been in office, he's lost hundreds of seats, nationally, state level. And nationally, he's lost hundreds of seats. When it came to him keeping his seat, he was great. That roaring progressive came out when it was campaign time. And he had to save my job. When I have to save my job, I'm a, a roaring progressive all of a sudden. But when it came to protecting his party and, and keeping that message and not letting the other side frame the narrative, he was horrible at it. Guy, look, his legacy will be this to me. Great manager, terrible leader. Because he didn't lead for shit. And being presidential is not leading. So don't give me that crap. 
But, you know, those are the main things right there as um, far as his legacy is concerned for me. So long as you know that, long as you understand that, you get a better grasp of what's going on. And like I said before, stop falling in love with the person. Start falling in love with the goddamn policy instead. So, that's that. Hope you understood that. Hope you put that in your muscle memory. But anyway, let's jump onto something lighter so I can wrap up this podcast, this episode for this week. Let's jump into the NFL weekend that we have ahead of great games. The divisional playoffs is amongst us, people. It's getting close to the Super Bowl. After this, man, we got what? We got well, After this, we got a couple more games, and then we got the big game. So this Saturday, we got the Seattle Seahawks traveling to the Atlanta Falcons. That's at 4.35 p.m. That's on Fox. So whatever your local Fox channel is, you're going to get that game. After that, you got the divisional playoff game. Houston, Texas traveling up to New England to play Tom Brady and those and those folks. That's at 8.15 p.m. on CBS. Um, now, I'm going to do my picks here. So I think that, first of all, I, I think the Houston and New England game is going to be a fucking joke. I'm not even going to watch it. I expect New England to do what they've done in the past when it came to Houston or the, the Indianapolis Colts, for example. They just wallop those teams. So I expect the New England Patriots to win by at least two touchdowns. They're going to win by like two touchdowns. I don't even know who's going to be quarterback for that game. Is it going to be uh, on the Houston side? I don't know who's going to be the quarterback. Is it going to be Brock Osweiler? Is it going to be Tom Savage? We don't know. But if it's Brock Osweiler or either or, or the rookie Tom Savage, they're going to just they're going to get massacred over there at New England. So I expect that to be, uh, you know. Put to that 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 game's gonna be put away before halftime, in my opinion. So, I, I say that score is gonna be somewhere. I, I say New England is gonna score about. I said I got it at thirty five. I got it at thirty five fourteen. That's that's the little respect that I have for the Houston Texans. That they're gonna get destroyed. So that game will be done by halftime. Mark my words. And if not, man oh man, I would be stunned. So, let's get to the real game for Saturday. The real game is the Seattle Seahawks versus the Atlanta Falcons. This is a revenge game for the Falcons because earlier in the year, they were robbed of a game against the Seahawks over at Seattle where Richard Sherman got away with a hold on Julio Jones and yada, yada, yada. However, I think that the Falcons will get their revenge. I think Atlanta will win this game. I think um, Matt Ryan and company but. His two running backs, uh, Tevin Campbell and I said Tevin Campbell. That's Tevin Coleman. I'm thinking about not <laughs> Tevin Campbell, the singer. Remember him? Uh, maybe not old enough. But anyway, uh, Tevin Coleman and uh, Devontae Freeman have wreaked havoc all year. I think they have the number one rushing attack in the league, if I'm not mistaken. So I, th- I expect them to get um, to wreak havoc in the rushing game because you can run on Seattle. And in a passing game, you know, it'll open up Julio down the field with a couple big plays. And look at and look out for Taylor Gabriel, number 18. Um, and, and um, he, he might have a couple big plays uh, through the slot. Um, and, and Sanu might have a nice game, too. So I expect Atlanta to, to, um, to win this game. 
I, I say they'll win it by, you know, I don't know what the spread is, but let's say, I say about, you know, I'll, I'll give it 30-21. I'll give Seattle 21 points. I think Russell Wilson will put together at least 21 points. But I got Atlanta Falcons 30-21 to 21 against Seattle. Now, Sunday, we got the first game, the early game, 1 o'clock on NBC. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers traveling up to can traveling down to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. Um, and we have the late game, which is 4.40 p.m. or quarter to 5 uh, Eastern time on Fox. That's the Green Bay Packers or Aaron Rodgers <laughs> versus my Dallas Cowboys at Dallas. That's probably going to be the game of the week. Uh, not probably. I, I think that'll be the game of the week. So let's start with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, um, Ben Roethlisberger left the game last week on a, in a walking boot, so we're not really sure how hurt he is, uh, you know, or what, whatever the case may be. Um, ben always plays hurt. I expect Ben to be okay. Um, but I do expect Kansas City to win that game. Ben Roethlisberger will turn the ball over at least two times. He puts up a lot of high numbers, but he does he does have a penchant for turning it over. So I expect Kansas City to get him to turn it over, whether that's via fumble, whether that's via a couple picks. So I think Kansas City will win that game because of their defense. They're going to be coming into that game healthy. Tamba Ali, uh, 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 Justin Houston, which is very important. Justin Houston has missed a couple games because uh, his uh, surgically repaired knee it was starting to swell up on him towards the tail end of the season. So they gave him a lot of rest. So he should be fresh as a, you know, fresh, real fresh. And I don't think they'll have any answer for him on that Pittsburgh offensive line. So I got Kansas City uh, winning that game. I don't think that's going to be a high scoring game. I got that game around, I say, Kansas City 23, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, 17, 23-17. I'm going to trust the Kansas City defense to uh, finally bring it through for Kansas City. They haven't won a playoff game, I, I believe, since Joe Montana was their quarterback in 93. So now, if it ain't now, then it's going to be never. you know. Or, or if it ain't now, then when? <laughs> so I got Kansas City in that game. So now let's get to the Green Bay Packers game and the Dallas Cowboys game. This one is going to be interesting. Aaron Rodgers is coming in, you know, the hottest that you know we've ever seen when it comes to quarterback. I mean, his last, what is it, seven games or so, he's had 19 touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, he's playing kind of out of his mind right now. Uh, however, it's not going to be much of what he does. It's going to be more of what his defense does to the Cowboys and what they, uh, what they do or what they don't do. I expect, of course, I'm biased because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I, I, I feel really good about this game because I don't really have much respect for Green Bay's defense. Um, obviously, the game plan for Green Bay will be to try to take Ezekiel Elliott out of the game as much as they can do. So that's going to require them to play the box more, put eight men up in the box to try to take Ezekiel Elliott. problem with putting more men up in the box or blitzing is that you leave the outside open. And nobody on that team can cover Des Bryant. So I expect Dak Prescott to have a field day in that game and, and, and throw 
pretty good. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he throws for over 300 yards in that game and has about two or three touchdowns. He had that in the first meeting. Um, I think that was week four or week five. He had that in the first meeting. So I, I expect the, much of the same. I expect the Cowboys to do what they've always done, and that's control the clock, run the ball, have uh, sustained long drives, and score, and keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. So it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think that uh, the Cowboys will win. I had the score 34-24 Cowboys. So I think the Cowboys will win that game. I think Ezekiel Elliott will still get 100 yards uh, uh, rushing. I think he'll still get 100 yards rushing. Um, I think that he'll actually uh, be flanked out as a receiver as well. So you'll see him catch the ball a little more in this game as well. So, um, yeah, that's my score, 34-24 Cowboys. So, yep, those are my picks for the divisional playoffs. Um, That was my two cents for... um, for farewell Obama and yeah tell me what you think the comment section below um also don't forget um if you love this podcast and you want to see more of it and you want to become you know my boss won't you you know uh pledge an amount to uh patreon.com slash voice junkie you can pledge a dollar a month a dollar an episode uh, whatever you want to pledge that you can afford. Uh, it really helps out when it comes to the production of this podcast. I have so many ideas that I want to do that I'm really not able to do because of financial reasons. And in order to um, to do a lot of those things, and, you know, I have to, you know, be able to do those financially. I mean, hey, that's just the reality of it. But, um, yeah, patreon.com slash voice junkie. And, um, yeah, pledging them out. If not, hey, still enjoy the podcast. Tell a friend. Tell another friend or tell a friend to tell a friend. You know how it goes social media-wise. Until then, people, I'll see you next week. Peace out.